I'm Danielle Royston, and this is Telco in 20. For telcos in some countries, it's easy to move to the public cloud. A big part of the reason is that they're located near one or more of the hyperscalers' data centers. CSPs in the United States, for example, are close to a ton of data centers. AWS has six data center regions, GCP has seven, and Azure tops them both with nine. That's a whopping 22 data center regions. Carriers in the US have no excuse for not moving to the public cloud. It's literally right there in their backyards. And we're starting to see movement. DISH, a greenfield network, quite famously and surprisingly, has gone all in with AWS, going as far as to tie their edge to AWS and putting their 5G core on the public cloud. This summer, AT&T sold its network cloud to Microsoft Azure, the whole thing, selling off their IPM people and said to Azure, you deal with it. Another telco who has been quietly working on their move to the cloud? Verizon. Today, I'm stoked to have Nanda Kumar, Executive Director of Cloud Engineering at Verizon, on the podcast to share what the company is up to, how it kicked off their move to the public cloud back in 2016, and what's next for them with the public cloud. So, let's take 20. Nanda Kumar is Executive Director of Cloud Engineering at Verizon. Nanda, welcome to Telco and 20. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So... As you know, Telco in 20 is primarily about the telco industry moving to the public cloud. And I've seen bits of news about Verizon doing stuff with different hyperscalers. And so I guess to start, what percentage of workloads have moved to the cloud? And do you guys have a goal to get a certain amount moved by a certain date? Sure. Actually, if I roll back the clock, we started thinking about public cloud way back in 2016. Mm -hmm. We were initially thinking about maybe mostly from an efficiency standpoint. How could that work and how do we really take advantage of the public cloud? So we actually put together a five-year business case program that involved us migrating workloads to the cloud. And then also as part of it, identifying what data centers we could consolidate, rationalize, and retire eventually so that we can be efficient about it and manage our workloads between the cloud and the data center. I'm happy to announce that by end of 2020, we actually completed that effort Albeit it was not the same as what we planned. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot we learned along the journey. Mm-hmm. And we also along the way realized that it's not just about cost. What really excited us about was the speed and innovation factor that yeah. really can come with the cloud. And we started to edge towards how do we also bring in those factors into our strategy. And that is why we have this strategy that we call as ESI, stands yeah. for Efficiency, Speed, Innovation, ensuring that we can go after all those three dimensions and not just focus on cost. Yeah, no, I think it's really interesting. You guys started in 16. That's pretty early, I think, from just talking to so many different CSPs around mm-hmm. the world. And you start with this efficiency idea and then it evolves. What I've been talking about is like, it's not just about outsourcing your data center here versus there. It's about the software of the public cloud that you can leverage to really accelerate some of your business ideas. So it sounds like you guys actually discovered that. Absolutely. In fact, I can give you a quick example. Just last month, when we supported our iconic launch with Apple, we had 100% of that initiative running on the public cloud. 
year before that, it was probably around 40%. And we also able to drive our innovation in terms of how we serve customers, uh, case in point, what we did with Google, with our call center AI, where we transform how we want to serve our customers. How do we reduce their wait time in terms of engaging with us and making sure that the needs are addressed? So it's kind of really expanded, as I mentioned earlier, beyond efficiency and our critical workloads are now running in the cloud and we are able to meet the business needs and support our customers. Well, the way you and I met, we were on a TN Forum panel together. The topic of the panel was mm -hmm. working with multiple hyperscalers and multi-cloud in this idea. You know, some people think of multi-cloud as a way to build in redundancy or not putting all your eggs in one basket and moving the same workload to different hyperscalers. And so I have seen your Google Cloud announcement. Thomas Curian highlighted it mm -hmm. in his keynote at last year's Google Cloud Next. And then I've also seen you guys working with AWS Wavelength. And so how are you guys thinking about multiple clouds and what workloads you move where? Yeah, that's a great question. What we realized is that it's basically trying to align with our strategy and integrating from an ecosystem mindset, right? It's not about just a workflow that runs. And more importantly, we want to make sure that it meets our business and customer need. So with AWS, that entire ecosystem is running in AWS. And that is why we were able to successfully launch and support our iconic launches last year and this year. Yeah. With Google, as you pointed out, we partnered there more in terms of the AI ML capabilities and also data analytics. Uh, similarly, we have partnership with Oracle where we realized we get better efficiency of scale with some of our Oracle workloads. So that's how we approach it. It was not so much of edging against them, but it's more about how we could have an ecosystem run that meets our business needs and serves our customers. Yeah, so it's a little bit of a combination of the technology as well as the business case, right? Mm -hmm. Like sometimes, you know, Oracle workloads work best in Oracle Cloud. Yeah, who else can run that better than them? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so you mentioned this, your great three-letter acronym, ESI, Efficiency, Speed, and Innovation. And so are there posters in Verizon with ESI on them, reminding people why you're doing things and how you're supposed to work as you move workloads to the public cloud? In fact, that is, because it's an initiative that was led by our CIO, Shankar Armavelu. We realized that we have to operate all three dimensions. It's not like one versus the other. You can't just focus about speed and do it at a rate that's not going to be efficient to the books. And you cannot lose sight of innovation. So that's where this framework was put together. It's something that's well ingrained in how we operate as an organization, especially in IT. Yeah. And that, in fact, also translated into our public cloud journey. And as we got started, I think our developers got excited about the cloud and the capabilities it can bring in terms of speed innovation. And that translated into us being able to achieve all the paradigms of our ESI framework. Well, you know, I spent some time in HR and when you're driving change to an organization, it's really important that people are aligned to the why, like, why mm -hmm. are we doing this? And not just what is it good for the company, in this case, Verizon, but what's in it for me? I think people get really energized when they get to work with new stuff. And the way that you design applications in the public cloud, it's like a whole new way of thinking. Mm -hmm. You're like pulling in all these different modules and building different things. And like your example with Google, you start with this base, but then you build it out specifically for what Verizon wants to do, mm -hmm. leveraging they're great AI, but then you're putting your spin on it. And it's such a different way of thinking. Mm -hmm. But like when you start to get your team saying like, no, I'm going to stand on the shoulders of Google or AWS or whatever. And now I can push things out to market so much more quickly and really delight our customers and have an impact on the bottom line because we're 
efficient and we're saving money. It's energizing to people. Your employees are like psyched to work there. No, absolutely. You touched upon a few things that maybe I could elaborate a bit. Yeah. Think about how cloud has shifted the purchasing power of an organization, right? Yeah. Back in the day before cloud, developer comes with a great idea. All right, good. And then you have to go through 17, 18 steps of approval. Yeah. But think about the shift in power. The developer decides it's a great idea. Within a moment's notice, he or she can just go in, push a button, and the infrastructure is right there. Yep. Completely collapses that ecosystem of how you would get things done. It's so powerful when you think about it. It's not this huge investment mm -hmm. and this big, huge fight in business case. You can sit there and start with like one server and just like just prototype. And the prototypes turn into little baby experiments that turn into products that then get deployed. It's so empowering to people that are, you know, 17 layers down in the organization. And so that is a shift in power and it increases the speed of IT. Mm -hmm. But I think now you're getting bills. The company is starting to get bills from an AWS or a Google on a monthly basis. And they're not used to seeing these kinds of bills and they fluctuate and they're mm -hmm. like, whoa, what are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing in IT? So how have you brought that finance department along to understand this is why we're doing it and you're going to see variability and this is how we manage it and get them comfortable with that whole process? Now, that's a great question because the dynamics of how your costing works and your billing process works is completely different in the cloud. And the beauty of this is it's actually creating transparency that you never had before. In fact, most of us talk about, hey, you do lift and shift and you start complaining that the apps are not efficient and using a lot of compute and storage than they should be. But it's the same after running the data center all along. And we never <laughs> talked about this, right? I mean, that's the irony of this conversation. They say it's the same app, but why are we talking about now? It's because of the transparency. And that's a great point. I mean, I think IT departments are famous for over-provisioning on capacity because mm -hmm. they don't want to get yelled at when it goes down. And it's totally understandable. You have a lack of capacity and your subscribers are impacted. I mean, someone's getting fired over that. And so they bump it up 10, 20, 30%. Mm -hmm. But all of that idle compute has been sitting and depreciating in your data center. Yeah. But I think once you lift and shift, that's where the work comes is refactoring those legacy applications so that they are more efficient either way. Absolutely. On-premise or in the cloud. The transparency is what I think we started to come and appreciate and accept it as opposed to trying to fight it. But back to the question that you okay. asked about bringing in finance, I think that is one of the important aspects of any transformation because with the collapse of the buying power, there's a need to understand why a certain thing being spent. And incidentally for us, when we were trying to have these conversations with finance, we were trying to explain, hey, our compute costs went up, our storage costs went up, and finance is like, why did it go up? So the, the light bulb moment for us is we shouldn't be having conversations about why compute and storage is uh, increasing. We need to translate that conversation to say, you know what? This month, we add a new product launch, and that required more customers coming in and looking at our products and services on our website. And mm -hmm. that translated into why we had to provision more, because there was a higher demand coming through our website. Mm -hmm. And that shift in the narrative of how you articulate is going to be critical because it's tied to a business event. Your marketing goals, mm -hmm. right? It's tied to your marketing goals Absolutely. and your sales goals. And previously you would have that sitting idle and then the event is over and then it's still there and you own it. And then in the public cloud, you have a spike around the event and then it unwinds and it goes away and everyone sees that result. It's amazing. It's Absolutely. Awesome. The case in point was the Apple launch. And because of the promotions that we had, a lot of people are coming in and exchanging their phones. So we could see there was a spike in the change plan transactions. 
I mean, this is one of the reasons why I focus my podcast on telco executives, because a move to the cloud is a senior person, CTO or CIO, or maybe even the CEO deciding, hey, we're going to move here. And so it's not just a technology decision, right? Finance, the way that we buy mm -hmm. infrastructure is changing and you're going to see variable bills and it's a lot less CapEx. CapEx is going to drop oh, on the <laughs> IT side, but it's OpEx, right? And so this is one of the first times we brought it up on this podcast, but internal teams and telcos don't understand the technical trade-offs coupled with the financial implications of different technical decisions. And they need to start to build that muscle. And that's in IT, not in finance. No, absolutely. And the partnership that we have with our finance teams, they have come to recognize that. They're used to seeing things being flat because you make a budget, you work towards that budget. Yep. But here, we were showing them, hey, time, we want less than what the budget is because we have been efficient and there is no need for us to spend. And there are times when we want to grow. So that's a cyclical aspect of it. Understanding it and supporting it is very critical. And now there's tools out there and there's consultants that will come in and analyze your bill. And there are experts around particular cloud, AWS or Google. And, you know, I've been doing this for CSPs where I go in mm -hmm. without even having confidential data access. We can scan your environment. And so when telcos start to move and they're moving and spending millions and tens of millions and $100 million with a public cloud vendor, shaving off 10, 20% of your bill with an automated tool that totally works and doesn't impact your stuff is awesome. And it goes a long way. It's amazing. And so we touched a little bit about bringing the people along in this journey. I mean, they're the ones that are doing the work. And so mm -hmm. they got to be excited about the transformation. I hate that word because everyone uses it. But <laughs> I mean, this is a big change for Verizon. I mean, five years ago, you weren't doing this, right? And so how have you approached sort of getting your people ready, getting them upskilled and trained and starting learning how to design with the public cloud? No, I think that's very important. And I think you touched upon this earlier, articulating the why. Why are we doing this? And helping individuals understand how their role is going to evolve and what skill sets are needed. We were pretty clear from day one that we have to make sure we invest in our people. And we actually came up with a program that helps our employees get certified and trained. And we actually set a target of 2,000 engineers that we weren't certified in the first year of our operations. And now that number has grown. And what we need to do as leadership is provide a path for people to come in and experiment and get their feet wet in understanding it. Yeah. And then we also wanted to make sure that there's a grassroots movement behind it, right? It's not just top down. And want to do it and be excited about it. Yeah. So that goal really helped us create that momentum. And now that momentum has been established for the last four or five years, it's just been significant growth. Yeah. And I think you guys create a little competition, right? It's like the Stanley Cup, I think, internally at Verizon. <laughs> Yeah, so one of the things that we tried to do as part of it was, you know, how does it translate to a customer and a business? So one of the things that I'm pretty passionate about is how can I we get employees engaged? And mm -hmm. just to excite things up, we actually add a, a full-size replica of a Stanley Cup as the award for the team that wins. Yeah. We wanted it to have momentum carries on from year over year over year. So just like the Stanley Cup, but the rules was you can't drink out of it. Uh, that was number one rule. <laughs> That's not allowed. Can't pour champagne and, yeah. and chug. <laughs> yeah, you, you can't do that. So, But the goal behind it was to really do it as a grassroots. And when you can do things on a day-to-day -day basis, you don't need special programs then. And you're accepting that, hey, this is the way that we should be doing things. Yeah, this is a huge change management program. And you guys are doing everything from setting the goals at the top. You created a plan. And that plan changed and that's okay. You learned along the way. Mm -hmm. I think you engage the people, right? You change the work. You're like, 
we're moving it over and now we're getting bills and now we need to figure out how to make that more efficient. And it sounds like people are on board and starts as a snowflake mm-hmm. and ends up as an avalanche of change. And it sounds like Verizon's really on their way. And I think it's super awesome what you guys are doing. Mm-hmm. I am a new Verizon customer. So I switched from some other people <laughs> <laughs> and went through the whole experience. I used your chat bots. I use your mobile app. It's been great. Thank you for being our customer. And we certainly appreciate that. Yeah. In fact, we are known for our brand in terms of our network, right? Yeah. Over the last 12, 18 months, what we have also started to focus on is how can we bring that to our experience in terms of how customers engage with us? It's everything I talk about. That's really where the differentiation is going to come for telcos. It's really hard for subscribers to really tell the difference from the network. Mm-hmm. It's a technical thing and most people can't really describe it, but people really understand the experience. I'm like, mom, are you on 5G? No clue. Do you have a 5G phone? No idea. But she knows if her experience is good with the mm-hmm. support person, right? Yep. And if it's really easy to pick a plan and speaks in a language that she understands. So I think you guys are onto something super awesome. I call it customer love. And I wish you guys the best of luck, both as a subscriber and as a you know, public cloud evangelist. So Nanda, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for having me and looking forward for future discussions. Yeah, for sure. Thanks. Stick around because we're ending each podcast with a telco in 20 takeaway. I have 20 seconds to tell you something you need to know. Nanda talked about how important it is to bring your financial people along on the journey to the public cloud. You need them on your side. But chances are they're going to be surprised when the public cloud bills arrive each month and start asking why it's so expensive to run in the cloud. The truth is, like Nanda said, it was this expensive to run on-premise, they just didn't know it. So it's up to your techies to help the finance team understand the public cloud's technology and pricing. And it's equally important for the techies to understand the financial implications of the technical choices they're making. If you manage it really well, you'll save up to 80% on your TCO. But it's a partnership and the two functions are going to have to work together. But there's good news for you. I can help. We have a new tool called CloudFix that's super easy to use. Just connect it to your public cloud management console and it goes to work to identify cost savings opportunities. With a touch of a button, it then automatically deploys fixes with just one click. Seriously, it's that easy. All of this happens in minutes and you get immediate and ongoing savings. Right now, CloudFix works with AWS and we'll be offering it with Google Cloud and Microsoft Azure down the road. So if you're an AWS customer and would like to save up to 50% on AWS costs, give me a call. I promise it will take you longer to decide to do it than it will take to find the savings. Until then, don't forget to tune into AWS's annual conference, reInvent, which is running through December 3rd in good old Las Vegas. Head over to the Telco DR website to check out my blog about sessions that telcos shouldn't miss. And I'll also share the most important headlines from the event after reInvent wraps up. So if you want to keep up on all the haps in telco and cloud, don't forget to follow and share our podcast with your colleagues. And if you liked what you heard, leave us a review. Sign up for our 60% open rate newsletter at telcodr.com. Follow me on Twitter at telcodr and connect with me on LinkedIn. You can also call or text me at 925-TELCO-DR. Later, nerds.